1: To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor.
2: Okay, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you, Lord, for getting us up and awakening our ears that we might hear you. Speak to our hearts in Jesus' name, amen. So please turn in your Bibles now to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew 9, we're not gonna cover again the history of the healing of the woman with the issue of blood, but the history that we're in this morning actually starts just before that in verse 18. So I'm just gonna read the whole thing for context, but really our passage this morning is... um, really from verse 23 to verse 26, but follow along, please, as I read from verse 18, Matthew 9, 18. While he spake these things unto them, behold, there came a certain ruler and worshiped him, saying, My daughter is even now dead, but come and lay thy hand upon her, and she shall live. And Jesus arose and followed him, and so did his disciples. And behold, a woman, which which was diseased with an issue of blood 12 years, came behind him and touched the hem of his garment, For she said within herself, if I may but touch his garment, I shall be whole. But Jesus turned him about, and when he saw her, he said, daughter, be of good comfort. Thy faith hath made thee whole. And the woman was made whole from that hour. And when Jesus came into the ruler's house and saw the minstrels and the people making a noise, he said unto them, give place, for the maid is not dead, but sleepeth. And they laughed him to scorn but when the people were put forth he went in and took her by the hand and the maid arose and the fame hereof went abroad into all that land. Okay, so what we've seen here for the context with this passage, this chapter starts off the calling of Matthew, it's the calling of Matthew and then Matthew then having followed the Lord, very simply it states that he put on a big party, a big feast, kind of like what we had Friday night. And so it was a great time, and it was wonderful, and you kind of remember that? All the people together, everybody really having a great time. Practically the whole town came out to Matthew's house to see and to hear the Lord Jesus. This house was just plain crowded and there were sinners there, there were tax collectors and the Lord had migrated over to their corner there, and they were very eager to hear the words, lords of forgiveness for their sins, and then there were the, on the other side, there were the skeptic Pharisees who were critical of the Lord, and they were asking him a critical question. They saw themselves as as not needing any forgiveness. They had no sins to be forgiven of. Then there were men breaking up the tiles on the roof, and lowering their friend down, their paralyzed friend, who was in need of healing, and they calculated to get it right in front of the Lord. And then there were the disciples and the Baptist who had been badly influenced by the Pharisees, and they had they were skeptical as well. They had their own challenging question. All this was going on like a three-ring circus there in this house, and the Lord was at the feast, and he was doing what he loved to do. He was teaching, he was answering questions, he was straightening people out, He was reaching so many people at this feast. It was very active. It was very thrilling when all of a sudden there is this interruption that happens. It's a certain ruler, as he's described, in the synagogue appears. He is a Pharisee. We know his name from another passage. His name is Jairus, and he breaks his way through the crowd, something that the, the man with the paralyzed friend couldn't do, but he does. It's very dramatic. There's a shock there when everybody is looking and they're saying, who is this, a Pharisee? Not just any Pharisee. This is Jairus, one of the rulers of the Pharisees of the synagogue. And there sitting in the corner is the skeptic group. That's the Pharisees. They're the ones who are against the Lord Jesus. They've challenged the Lord Jesus with their question. They've criticized the Lord Jesus for sitting and eating with the publicans, with the sinful, with the dirty people of the city, with the corrupt ones, the corrupt tax collectors. There he is, and there they are, the Pharisees. And now breaking rank with the Pharisees is one of their own. This Pharisee who is a ruler of the synagogue, he's broken his way into the house, into this place, into this spot here of this verbal combat between the Lord on one side and the Pharisees on the other side and all expected this prominent Pharisee when he comes in to go take a stand on the side with his colleagues, with his peers, with the Pharisees. But he doesn't do that, he doesn't do that. He steps right over the line and he takes his position on the other side with the sinful, dirty people and the corrupt tax collectors And because that's where the Lord Jesus is. And he takes his side, not just to stand there with the Lord Jesus, but he bows before the Lord, puts his head on the floor, and he worships. That's the description. You notice that in verse 18. While he spake these things unto them, behold, there came a certain Pharisee and a certain ruler and worshiped him, worshiped him, saying, My daughter is even now dead, but come and lay thy hand upon her and she shall live. And as everyone sees this, they ask the question, Why? Why is this Pharisee, you know, like the Manish out? why is this Pharisee different from all other Pharisees? You know? Why is he doing that? Why is he he's so different? And they only have to hear. The first words from this Pharisee to understand what has driven him to worship the Lord Jesus. And the first words in verse 18 are, My daughter. My daughter. We're told another place there about his daughter in Luke 8:42. Luke 8:42 gives us some background about this daughter that he's speaking about. It says in Luke 8:42, he had only one daughter about 12 years of age, and she lay a-dying. So the Pharisee, this Pharisee only has one daughter. She's obviously the joy of his life. His life is wrapped up in this sweet little daughter that he has. Doctors have tried everything. They've told him now the truth. They've told him, look, we can't save her life. She's gonna die, you better prepare for that. They've told him there's nothing more that they can do to save her life. And this father was just not ready to accept that. He wasn't going to accept that his daughter, his dear sweet daughter, was gonna die. So he's heard of the miracle worker, Jesus, and even though the father has not seen or heard of Jesus raising the dead, he's heard things like he cured leprosy and and he's concluded that Jesus is his only hope, is his only hope. So just at the point where it looks as though his daughter is going to die very soon, he rushes out of the house, he's determined to bring this Jesus home for his daughter. So by the time he has reached Matthew's house, Jairus has figured that his daughter must have died by now. He doesn't know. He doesn't know whether she's dead or alive, but he figures she's probably dead by now. He doesn't really know that, but he figures that, and so without knowing for sure whether she's dead or alive, he comes in, in verse 18, and he says to the Lord, my daughter is now dead. It says in verse 18, my daughter is now dead. He didn't know that for sure but he figured that she must have been dead. So he says, you know, my daughter's now dead. And that, for the Pharisees, has explained it all. That's explained it all. And as all the Pharisees look at a leader of their own worshiping the Lord Jesus, you can imagine the looks of the group of the Pharisees looking at Jairus is to say, why, you traitor? You traitor, you should be standing with us. And then we can imagine Jairus Looking back at the group of his own with a look like, you don't have an only daughter who is sick to death, sick unto death. And if you did, you'd be joining me on this ground with your heads up next to mine on the ground, worshiping Jesus. And so when we think about that, what was it that caused this man to be so different, to break ranks with the Pharisees? And it was the tragedy in his life. It was the tragedy of Jairus that drove him to the Lord Jesus. There's just nothing like a good, healthy dose of fright to drive a person to God. And that's what drove Jairus to God, to the Lord Jesus. There's nothing like a distress like he had to break down the pride of the Pharisees, the typical pride. There's nothing like a a trouble of the heart to break down the prejudice, because that's all it is, all it was and all it is. Prejudice against the Lord Jesus. I told Jewish people, I mentioned Jesus, and they were like, oh, you know, or they spit or something like that. And I said, you know, I feel like I'm back in Selma, Alabama, it's the 1950s, and I'm talking to some white folk about how great a certain black person is. That's your response. Prejudice, and there's nothing like a terrible tragedy like happened to Jairus to break down that prejudice against the Lord Jesus. If life, in Jairus' case, if life was easy for him, if Jairus was on easy street, he would never have come to the Lord Jesus. He'd be over there with the rest of the Pharisees trying to break the Lord down with questions of, why are you eating with those dirty people? That's where he would have been. That's where his place would have been if life was easy, but it wasn't. And so therefore, we see Jairus crying out for help, crying out for help. And more often than not, that's the case today. That's what drives people out of their cocoon. That's what drives people out of their protected space today for the Lord Jesus. It's a tragedy And really, uh, Pharisee is the only Pharisee. Jairus is the only Pharisee in the Bible that we read about who is worshiping the Lord in this way, publicly, the face of the ground and so forth. And it was so shocking for the Pharisees to see Jairus do this. It was so unusual. It was so, nobody else, that at one point, where the Pharisees were having their council uh, uh, together which basically boiled down to a council against the Lord Jesus but they posed the question in John 7:48 John 7:48 when they asked the question among themselves any of the rulers or of the Pharisees believed on him you know it's kind of you know Have any of the rulers or the the, the Pharisees believed on him? That's the way they posed it, right? And those Pharisees at that council said, in essence, none. No one, none. But, but, they said none, but God said one. One. And his name was Jairus. And he wasn't just a Pharisee, he was a ruler of the Pharisees. So he qualified on both accounts they were asking. And that's so often the case where man looks around he looks around. Who's believed? Who's worshipped the Lord Jesus? And man says, none, no one, none. But God says, some, some. That's the case of Elijah. Elijah said, Elijah said, none. God said, some. Yeah, in First Kings nineteen fourteen. First Kings nineteen fourteen. Uh, Elijah said, he said, I've been. He's speaking to God. He said, I've been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, only I, am left. And I, I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. So, so Joshua says, I, even I, only I, am left. So Joshua looked at Israel and says, besides me, none, none. But God saw something different. And he looked at Israel and and God's response to Elijah saying none but me was 1 Kings 19.18, 1 Kings 19.18 where God said yet I have left me 7,000 in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal and every mouth which has not kissed him. So God's reply, I mean God's reply to Elijah's none God's reply was, some, some 7,000. You just can't see them, Elisha, but they're there. And it reminds me, when I first broke rank with, with the Jewish people, and I, and I became a Jew, 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 I became a Jesus-worshiping Jew of the Lord Jesus, and I became that, and I thought I was the only Jewish person who was worshiping the Lord Jesus, and I was saying, none, none, just me. And I learned there were others, and so there's some. Anyway. So because of his desperation, Jairus had a wonderful faith. It was a great faith that he had. It was marvelous when he said in verse 18, verse 18, he said, just to get the faith of this man, he's saying to Jesus, come, lay thy hand upon her and she shall live. He didn't say, you know, give it a try, she might live. He said, she shall live. He believed. At this point, he believed, he said he believed that the Lord Jesus could call back a soul from death, from death to life. He believed the Lord Jesus could bring his dead, presumed dead, his presumed dead 12-year-old daughter back into his arms again. That's what he believed. That was a great faith. It was a wonderful faith that he had. And the Lord Jesus responded to that faith of Jairus because as soon as this cry for help came to the ears of the Lord Jesus. We read in verse 19, verse 19, Jesus arose. Jesus arose and followed him. Now you gotta, we gotta really make sure we got this scene in our mind. I mean, here's the Lord Jesus, he's in Matthew's house, he's feasting all the people around him. It's a very happy place, it's a wonderful place. Fellowship. Many of you there were there that were really for the Lord Jesus, and He was teaching them. Everybody was happy. There were others that were against Him. He was straightening them out, and it was really a very active time. And and Jairus bursts in, and 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 what happened at this point was it was just as if Jesus was a fireman sitting around the table at the fire station with some great roast. That, that some fireman had made and they were he was enjoying that and the alarm rang and everything turned into chaos and, and, and the Lord Jesus left that place like a fireman would leave the table. He left that place to go where the need was. And that scene of the Lord Jesus among friends and, and in a place of comfort and the feast going on and he leaves it all to help Jairus is so meaningful for us because we think of the Lord Jesus in Matthew's house, Matthew's joyful house, and and he's leaving to go to Jairus's sad house, house of death. And what we see in that, what we see in that is a person, the Lord Jesus, going from a place of feasting to a place of anguish, anxiety, we see, we see in, that, in that scene the Lord Jesus going from a place of gladness and happiness to a place of sorrow. We see him going from a place of light, he's teaching, to a place of darkness, he was wailing over the dead body. We see him going from a place of singing, you know, in essence, to a place of wailing. When you get right down to it, he was really going from a place of life to a place of death. And why did he do that? Why did, why, why, why did Jesus leave Matthew's house, that joyful place, to go to Jairus's house, that very dark, sad place? And the Lord Jesus did that. He did that, he left all that to go to all that because he, he could, because he knew he could transform. The Lord Jesus could transform Jairus' house. He could take Jairus' house and transform it from a place of anguish to a place of feasting, celebration. He could take Jairus' house and transform it from a place of sorrow to a place of gladness. And he knew that. He could take Jairus' house, a place of darkness, and change it to a place of of light. He could take it from a, a place of wailing over the dead and change it to a place of singing, Uh, and happiness, in essence, when you get right down to it, the Lord Jesus knew that if he left Matthew's house, where everything was all great and wonderful, that he could change, he could transform Jairus' house from a place of death to a place of life. And that's what he wanted to do. And it's that scene of the Lord Jesus leaving Matthew's house of life to go to Jairus' house of death that's such a picture for us of what the Lord Jesus did when he left heaven to came to earth. Because when he left heaven, he was leaving like a place of Matthew's house. He was leaving a place of feasting in heaven to go to a place of anguish on earth. He was leaving a place of gladness and happiness in heaven to go to a place of basically sorrow, as the Bible said. They that sat in darkness, He was leaving a place of darkness, sorry, leaving a place of light to go to a place of darkness, a place of singing. You know, they're singing songs, we think in Revelation, singing songs about him in heaven, everybody, to a place of wailing on earth. Basically, he was leaving a place of life in heaven to come to a place of death on earth. And just as he did when he left Matthew's house to go to Jairus' house, there's only one reason he did that. Why would he leave heaven and come to earth? because he knew he could transform. He could transform. He could transform anguish into feasting. He could transform on earth. He could transform sorrow into gladness, darkness into light, wailing into song. He could basically transform death into life. Okay, so he's left now Matthew's house to go to Jairus' house, and there's an entourage which is following, and so the the entourage has left the party, and at the head of this entourage is Jairus. And he's going as fast as he thinks the little is everybody can keep up. The Lord Jesus is most important. So he's going quickly. He's leading this group to his house. And then right behind him is the Lord Jesus, keeping up with this fast pace of Jairus. You know, quickly, quickly, we gotta move. And then following the group is the disciples, and they're moving very quickly to also to keep up. And as Jairus is going as fast as he can. He's thinking, I'll run if he can run. I'll move as fast as I can. He's got to keep up with me. And then in this scene, all of a sudden, this is a fast group. This woman, kind of like, a, you know, like in a marathon sometimes, you know how people sometimes cheat and they slip themselves into the group. so they can <laughs> Anyway, she slips herself into this group and she's right behind the Lord Jesus and she's moving very quickly also to keep up the Lord Jesus. No one has seen it. But just like Jairus, she's desperate. He's desperate for her daughter. She's desperate for bleeding for 12 years. She's been bleeding uncontrollably for 12 years.
1: Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org.